talking to Tyler last night, and he said, Whitney and I have children's church tomorrow. And it was almost like a prayer request. <laughs> now, I have been, has been requested by some of our Auburn and Tennessee fans that I preach a short sermon today so that they can get home, get rested, and get ready for the basketball game later. So I'll do what I can. <laughs> our scripture this morning is found in Luke chapter 14. Our screen says uh, verses 28 through 30, but actually I want to back up and begin in verse number 25. And if you would, if you found your place, if you will stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and bro mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost? whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Father, thank you for the reading of your word. Thank you for the power of your word. I pray that it would uh, penetrate our hearts this morning and give us what we need to hear from you. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we begin a five-week sermon series on the cross of Christ. During this time we'll look at the physical, theological, historical aspect of the cross. We'll look at the cross from all different angles. And we will know and understand that there was no other means by which Jesus could have died for our sins other than than going to a cross. There were other methods of executions that the Romans used. There were other means of death that were available. But for him to be the sacrifice for our sins, to be the substitute for our sins, he had to go to a cross. And we'll look at that more closely as the weeks go by. In a few weeks, in six weeks, Men will stand behind pulpits and they will preach about the glory of the resurrection. They will preach about the power of the resurrection. They will preach about the life change of the resurrection. But there's no way to get to the resurrection and to understand the resurrection fully unless we go through the cross of Christ. Unless we understand the cross and all that it means and all that it pertains to. To us, the cross, the cross is God intervening in history more dramatically than at any moment in any other thing. There are great moments that stand out in history. There are great defining moments of history. But the greatest, most defining moment in all of history was the moment that Christ was crucified on a cross and this morning we begin here in Luke chapter 14 and we look at at the cost of a cross we look at how much a cross actually costs. we look at the cost of being a disciple 
of Jesus. But we can't look at ourselves without looking first at how much the cross cost Jesus. Because the cross cost Christ everything. Our salvation cost Jesus Christ everything. Think of Jesus. Think of him in heaven. Think of the glory and the splendor and the awe that surrounds Jesus throughout all of eternity. Think of the fact that the Bible tells us that all throughout, all throughout eternity that the angels are at his beck and call, that he is there and the holy host of hosts cry out all the time saying, Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts. Jesus is the central figure of heaven. But there is this moment in time. There's this moment in eternity when the Father looks to the Son and says, now is the time. And when Jesus turns away from all that is heaven and comes down to this sinful world because he has a love for us that we will never comprehend as long as we wear the flesh of this earth. Then think about his earthly ministry. Think about him, the scriptures tell us in great detail that Jesus went about doing good. He went about giving sight to the blind. He went about giving speech to the dumb, healing the sick, giving new bodies to crippled people, and even raising the dead back to physical life. On top of this, he gave the greatest teachings and the, with the greatest authority that has ever been. He preached the greatest sermons that were ever preached, and he showed compassion to the people who were under such religious and political burden. Jesus came and he gave them hope during that time. Think about the crowds. Think about the crowds as he descends there from the Mount of Olives and he's coming down to Jerusalem in what we call the triumphal entry, what we will call Palm Sunday. Think about those people who are waving palm branches and who are laying coats out in front of him and how they are, how they are declaring Hosanna to the king, Hosanna to the king. And they're praising him and they're lifting their voices to him. And think about how in just a few short days some of those same voices will stand in front of Pilate and say, crucify him. Let him be crucified. Think about his leaving from there. Think about before that, his being in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying in an agony that led to him sweating great drops of sweat that were like blood. The agonizing prayer that he prayed there. And then think about him being betrayed by Judas with a kiss and then being led from the garden to be tortured all night long, scourged with a rod, having a, corner, a, a crown of thorns thrust on his head and then beaten down with a club, slapped, spit on, and then being forced to take his own cross and carry it to Golgotha. And there he will hang in agony for hours. But yet, he says a prayer. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There is no one who ever existed on this earth who could have prayed that prayer except for Jesus Christ. We'll hear the agony in his voice 
as he cries out and says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, who had known no sin, now takes every sin that will ever be committed or ever has been committed, and he becomes sin there on the cross for you and I. And at that moment, the Father, who is perfectly pure, can't look at the Son in this condition. And Jesus is there alone. And then he will say these words from the cross. It is finished. The last drop of blood will have been given and every single ounce of love that he had was displayed there for us. And he will have bought a salvation for us. See, the cross cost Christ everything. And how can we be a part of this salvation without cost to ourselves? Jesus bore his cross and he calls us in these verses to take up our own cross. Dean and Sarah has written a new book. It came out last week. And it's called The Unsaved Christian. And in it, Dean and Sarah makes this statement. Self-proclaimed Christians who worship a God that requires no self-sacrifice, no obedience, no submission, and no surrender are not worshiping the God of the Bible no matter how much they claim they love Jesus. When a builder doesn't count the cost or estimates it inaccurately, the building may be left uncompleted. And so these scriptures, Jesus asks us, will we abandon the Christian life after a little while because we didn't count the cost of commitment to Jesus? And what are those costs? We may face loss of social status. We may face loss of wealth. We may have to give up control of our money, our time, our career. We may be hated, separated from family. We may even be put to death. Following Christ does not mean a trouble-free life. We have to carefully count the cost of becoming disciples of Christ so that we will firmly hold to our faith and not be tempted to turn back later. So there is a cost to us. There is a cost to our own personal cross. It may cost you the world. The reason the world is not impressed with our Christianity is because they don't see the difference in our lives and the way the average person of the world lives. A converted person should be different in their life and in their attitudes and in their, the way that they conduct and carry themselves. 1 John 3, 9, that we'll, we'll look at 1 John chapter 3 this evening in our Bible study, says this, it, says, it tells us, whoever is born of God does not continue in sin. Paul said we are new creations. The old has passed away. All things have been new. And he challenges us to go and represent the newness of Christ. There's that old cliche that we've heard time and time again all of our lives. You may be the only Bible that someone ever reads. How true is that? We may be the only Bible that someone ever reads. Man, I, wa I walked in as, as a lost person. I worked with some people who were awesome examples of the Bible that I wasn't reading. I worked with some people who could show compassion, forgiveness, love, and understanding. 
in situations that I just couldn't, I couldn't fathom. I worked with some people that when they knew that someone was downtrodden or hurt or, or whatever, when they saw somebody suffer a loss, a death, or a tragedy in their family, I watched those people be the Bible in front of me who couldn't, I, I probably had a Bible at home, but I, if you offered me $100, I couldn't have told you where it was. But I watched those people be that example, and I knew that there were actually people who lived the Christian walk and the Christian life. And so when God called me, when, when he spoke to my heart, when the Holy Spirit dealt with me about being a Christian, I knew that I had seen some examples of some people who lived this way. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17, Paul says this, he says come, that we should come out from among the world. Come out from among the world. Now, now how do we do that? How do we come out from among the world? Are you going to be able to wake up tomorrow and not live among the world? Absolutely not. There's no way that you can wake up tomorrow, not go to school, not go to work, not be with your family. You're going to be a part of this world. Paul is saying here, he's telling us as Christians, you can't live a life of isolation, isolation but you can live a life that's separated from evil. I counted the cost when I became a Christian because I knew, I knew there was one thing that I was going to have to give up that was going to be really hard for me. I knew immediately that I was going to lose a whole lot of friends in my life. I knew immediately when I became a Christian, I knew that I was going, there were going to be people who immediately that I was with every day, that I was, that I was around all the time, that I did everything and, and shared everything with. I knew that I was going to lose those people. It was uh, early April, and I remember I had, a, I had a trip planned with a group of friends, and it, we were going to a certain place to do certain things, and I knew that I had to tell those friends, I can't go. I can't go with you anymore. I, I won't be able to make that trip. And I'll never forget, I had money invested in this. I had, I had, I had plans invested in this. And all my friends were going. And I can remember telling one of my friends, look, I'm not going to be able to make this trip with you. I'm not going to be able to go. I'm not going to be able to be a part of this anymore. I'm not going to be able to go to these places anymore. But I remember his reaction. And I remember the anger that he had when he told me and he basically told me that, uh, that I was crazy. And that just because I was going to church didn't mean that I couldn't do anything anymore and couldn't have any fun. And I tried to explain, I'm, I, I'm not just going to church. Look, I'm a Christian now. But it didn't seem to matter. And I lost all but just a couple of friends. But I knew, going, I knew, ahead of, I, I counted those costs. But you know what God began to do? God began to bring people that I never, I never dreamed that I'd ever be friends with, that I'd ever have a relationship with, that I'd ever have anything to do with. He began to bring those people into my life, and they began to surround me, and they began to, to replace those friendships and those things. And you know what? It wasn't that great a cost after a while. God took care of those things. It may cost you a separation from the world. It may cost you to have to, to move away some things that you do and places that you go. Count those costs. 
it may cost you comfort. I see Paul and Silas who had made it to Macedonia. They'd answered the Macedonian call. They are there in comfort with a lady named Lydia. They are, they are staying somewhere where they, that with, a, with a woman who is wealthy and her family is wealthy, and they probably have comfort. They're, probably, they're not having to sleep outside. They're not having to, to worry about shipwreck and all those things that they've had to worry about before. And they've got comfort. And all of a sudden, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, where do they find themselves? But in a Philippian jail, being persecuted, being beaten, and having to suffer because they preached the gospel. In the past three weeks, there have been 120 Christians who have been murdered in the nation of Nigeria. In 2018, 90,000 Christians were killed around the world because of their faith in Jesus Christ and their refusal to renounce him. Now, it's probably not going to happen to any of us anytime soon. However, the culture in America is becoming more hostile to our faith. If this is the foundation of your life, if this is what you believe in, if you believe that Jesus Christ is God, that he came to this earth to be your substitute and your sacrifice, if you believe what the Bible says about marriage, if you believe what the Bible says about the things that are being forced on us culturally, if you believe those things and you're going to be told that you're, you're a bigot, that you're homophobic, that you're xenophobic, that you're every kind of phobic that there can be, and you are going to be unpop more and more unpopular as it unfolds. This is not a political statement. This is not my opinion. This is just fact in watching what I see. We're one election away. We're one election away from your faith costing you your job, your faith costing you promotions, your faith costing you financially, your faith costing you socially, your faith being a stigma that separates you from the rest of society. But guess what the Bible says? John says this in 1 John chapter 3, in verse 3, he says, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Jesus said this in John 15, 18. He said, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. It may cost you comfort at some point. You may have to count the cost now and wonder, Will I be able, someday when this comes, will I be able to stand and still say that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and a believer. It may cost you giving your testimony to others for them to be a part of God's family. It may cost you telling other people how they can become a part of Jesus and his family. A few weeks ago, I heard the most incredible testimony that I've heard in years at the Sunshine Club. A lady from South Korea named Kim Kent came and gave her testimony to us at the Sunshine Club. I know you're looking and saying you're not old enough to be at the Sunshine Club, but I'm a member of the Sunshine Club, and you ought to be too. But she came, and she gave us this testimony. This was her background. She was born in South Korea in a home where they practiced Buddhism and witchcraft. 
And that was what she knew of religion. She had watched her family practice these things for years and years and years. And when she was in her late teens, she got a job on a military installation in South Korea, and she met a GI from Gadsden, Alabama. They fell in love. They got married. They had a child. And when his tour was over, they moved back home to Gadsden. She didn't know the language. She couldn't drive. She had no friends. She had nothing except being there and being alone and being depressed all day long. And someone came to visit her. The wife of the pastor at, uh, I can't remember the name of the church now, but I believe it was Gaston Bible Baptist Church, came to visit her and just offered to be her friend. And through that friendship, they, she began to help her learn English, began to help her learn how to drive, began to help her to learn how to be independent. And at the same time, began to invite her to come to church. And at first, Ms. Kent said, I came up with every excuse in the world, and I was down to the last excuse. When she asked me to come, she said, I don't have a dress. And she said that Saturday, the pastor's wife showed up, with a brand new dress that was her size and said, you're out of excuses. And so she went, and after a few weeks of visiting that church, she came to know Jesus Christ as her Savior because she asked him to forgive her of her sins. She repented of those sins, and she placed her faith in Jesus. And as a result, she began to invite her husband to church until she killed all of his excuses, and he went. And he became a believer in Christ. But what was so incredible about her story was this. When she left South Korea, she had 20 family members who were steeped in Buddhism and witchcraft as their religion and their path to God. And through her efforts and through her prayers and through her making many, many long-distance phone calls, She's led 20 of her family members to the Lord Jesus Christ and salvation and eternal life in Jesus Christ. Now think about that. And we, we talked about it after Sunshine Club. Uh, several of us were talking, and we talked about how she took what she had. All she had was a telephone. There was no way that she could physically get on a plane and fly to all these places. All that she had was a telephone, but she took what God had placed in front of her and she used it prayerfully. And because of that, she's been able to lead all of her family to Jesus Christ. What, what's hindering us? What's stopping us? What's keeping us from telling people the co what, 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 what cost is it to us to tell other people and to have them have the same assurance that we have that they're going to heaven after this life. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are Christ's representatives. We are his representatives here after his ascension. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to Christ. We are called, we are saved, we give our lives to Christ, and then we are called to let other people know. So the cross may cost us 
It, co it costs Jesus everything, and it may cost us some things here in this life. But let me tell you what it won't cost you. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, the Scripture says this. It says the wages of sin is death. If we live this life and we go and we, in, we get to the end of this life and we meet death and we don't have forgiveness of our sins, we don't have Christ's blood applied to our sins, and we've tried to go some way other than the cross of Christ, then when we meet death, we will reap our reward, which will be eternal separation from God in a place called hell, where we'll never have the opportunity or hope again of finding our way to Jesus. So the wages of sin, the wages of unforgiveness is death. When we meet God in eternity, we're, he's not going to ask us, where, where, what church were you a member of? Or, or tell me about your confirmation or your sprinkling or your this or that or this uh, whatever religious ceremony you went through. God is going to see our soul and he is going to know whether or not we have come to Christ and Christ alone for the forgiveness of our sins. All the other things are just trappings. God is going to want to see that Jesus has, for, we have forgiveness of our sins through the cross of Christ. And on that, the second part of that verse, it says, the gift of God is eternal life. When we know that we have forgiveness of our sins through the cross of Christ, then when God looks at us in eternity and he sees us there, he's not seeing us, but he's seeing God the Son, Jesus Christ, who took our sins for us, who is standing in our place as our righteousness and our way to eternal life with the Father. That's what's going to matter. And so whatever the, cost, the cross may have cost us here in this life, it will mean nothing. Whatever we've had to give up in this life, be it friend, be it wealth, be it social status, be it whatever it was, it will mean nothing in eternity when God says to us, well done, good and faithful servant, enter in to my presence. That's what's going to matter at the end of this life. This morning, I want to tell you that over the, the next few weeks, we'll look at the cross, we'll examine the cross, we'll see the cross, and I want to tell you that you are fortunate to have the opportunity and the ability to hear about the cross of Christ and to know that what links Jesus went for you to have eternal life. It is wonderful that God gave us the ability to take his word and to open it and to see the love that he had for us at Calvary. So as the weeks progress, pray that God will open your hearts and your minds and your eyes to learn more about the cross so that you can be an ambassador for Christ and share the love of Christ to the story of what Jesus did for us there at Calvary. This morning, maybe you're here and you've heard what has been said and what we've sang about, what has gone on, and you understand at this point you don't have forgiveness of your sins through the Lord Jesus Christ. You've not understood the concept of the cross. There's no greater time than for right now than for you to come 
and to say, I want to know how I can have eternal life with Christ in heaven through the cross of Christ. There's no greater time than right now for you to say, hey, I have forgiveness of sins, but I have not followed up in believer's baptism or membership or whatever it is I need to take care of. Now would be a wonderful time for you to do that. Maybe you know someone who needs to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you need the power of the Holy Spirit to help you to do that. Would you pray for that this morning? Whatever it is you stand in need of, now is the perfect time for you to take care of it. As Darren comes to lead us in this time of invitation, would you stand and pray? Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the power of redemption and forgiveness that the cross offers. Thank you for the love that was shown to us there. And thank you, God, that you provided this way. Jesus said the way is broad and the gate is narrow. But God, you've pointed us to that gate and you've shown us how we can have eternal life. This morning I pray that if there's anyone here who needs to know, they'll make that move today and ask you to forgive them of their sins. Father, I pray that you not let anything hinder us from, from doing what we need to do with you here today. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.